Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. And guess what? I'm here all by myself. That's right. You get me all to yourselves. Was that a good ad for an OnlyFans page? I don't have one, but uh, it's mostly because I don't think anyone would pay money for me to have one. I don't think that I... I'm not a very good sex kitten. Anyways, I am recording all by myself, which is something that I think I'm going to be doing more of in the future, and here's why. I work seven days a week, and I have a debilitating medical condition. So in the little windows of time that I reserve to record with other people, Oftentimes, I am physically unable to do so, and uh, you can ask Scott McNulty and Rob Love, both of whom I've had to cancel on several times because I'm unable to do so. And if you listen to every episode, you've heard me uh, admit to laying on the floor while recording because I'm unable to sit in a chair. And sometimes I am too in too much pain and too nauseous to look at a screen, which makes running a uh, digital media project very difficult. So I have decided that I'll probably record some episodes just by myself because it makes it a lot easier to, if I have a window of time in which I'm not sick, to just go, hey, I feel okay, I'm going to go out to the garage and record right now. Um, And uh, maybe because Zach is at my beck and call, he will make more appearances just because he's available. Uh, But I've been listening to several podcasts lately um, where it's solo hosts. One of them is Bi Pumpkin, which is, she covers reality television and she is one of the funniest most amazing people ever. Uh, the host is named Princess. Um, I don't even know that you need to watch the shows that she's talking about to listen to it, but you can because she's talking about Flavor of Love and Girls Next Door, and it's all wonderful. And I've also been listening to this podcast called Dunzo that covers uh, celebrity relationships, and it has a solo host named Troy. And he does a great job. So anyways, maybe I'm just inspired. And also, I think out of necessity, it makes it easier to use. I I can't fucking schedule my life. Let's be real. I can make plans when I feel okay and say, it's Tuesday. I'm going to go kayaking on Sunday. And then it can be Sunday and I'm laying on my bathroom floor crying and throwing up. That's how my life's going right now. It's not the most fun. And so it makes it very hard to make plans. And um, I don't like fucking with other people's time anyways to say, hey, Monday night we're recording and then, um, you know, cut to Monday night saying, I'm sorry, I can't. I fucking can't. I don't like doing that because I've wasted someone else's time. And now I'm running late for my deadline. Um, I don't, maybe I don't need to over justify this, but I'm just saying that's where we're at. We're doing, I'm going to do some solo podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows in the future, I might get my health in order. The country might get their shit in order where we can see people and, uh, I'll have more hosts. Who's to say, but anyways, I'm going to do a show about Ruth E. Norman, a.k.a. Uriel, 
who was the leader of a cult in uh, Southern California. And she's dead now, so don't worry. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be scared. Um, she can't hurt you anymore. And the way I stumbled upon her is that she was known for her fantastic costumes. They are very much in the vein of, I don't know, Ziggy Stardust meets Xanadu. Um, it's very bright and over the top and costumey. And I saw a picture of her on someone's Instagram where they post like retro style icons. And I said, who is this woman? What? She's a cult leader. Let me get to the bottom of it. And guess what? We are. And unfortunately, this is audio, so you're not going to see the costumes, but I'll post some on the Instagram so you can get into it. And uh, if you're listening and you don't follow us on Instagram, uh, do that. It's at Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. Uh, I think that's what it is. Hold on. Let me double check. Um, Ralphie, please stop eating my sock. Can you stop eating my sock? He's having a good time with eating my laundry because um uh, my when I say my recording studio what I mean is my garage which is the laundry room and also a garage so let me double check our Instagram handle and you know what the sock that he is eating is it's the one I got for completing um a hundred Pilates classes during the pandemic which was very hard earned since I'm a sick person and I throw up in my mouth anytime I move my body. Um, so I really worked hard to earn that sock. And now Ralphie is just eating it up. Um, so I am double checking the handle of the Instagram. Uh, and I'm an old person, an old person. So uh, it takes me a minute. Um, okay, yeah, it's at Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. Look at that. I didn't have to do SDS pod or anything like that. I think that's what it is on Twitter. Who, who gives a shit? Follow us on social media. I post fun pictures. You can interact with me. Um, I used to, like, I used to respond to listener. <coughs> Ra Ralphie, mommy's recording. I'm going to murder you. I'm going to murder you. I will dig a hole in the backyard and I will put you in it. Um. No, I used to, like, respond to listener shit, like, immediately, and I'm trying to have some boundaries now between me and my phone. I'm spending less time on social media, and as a surprise to nobody, it has been better for my mental health. Um, sorry, Zach is moving in the other room, which has enraged Ralphie, and Ralphie just can't live with that. Okay, back, back to the topic at hand. We're talking about this lady, Ruthie Norman. She dressed awesome and ran a cult. So her name, her born name was Ruth Neilds, and she was born in 1900 in Indianapolis, Indiana. Nice, solid Midwestern roots. Uh, her family moved to Pasadena three years later. She had an abusive father. Apparently, starting as a teen, she worked as a fruit packer and a maid. And all that money went to dad, who would, I assume, drink it away. And he would hit her. And he was a real piece of shit. Um, and uh, so abusive parents sometimes create um, 
mentally different human beings. Uh, So in 1918, which is when she's 18 years old, if anyone cares, she marries a guy named Frank R. DeSilvis, and they have a daughter two years later. I'm kind of impressed because there wasn't really birth control back then. They did have diaphragms. You could order illicitly through like the back of a catalog. Uh, Maybe they used one of those. Maybe he came on her tits. I don't know. But they were married for two whole years, and then she has a daughter, Um, They divorce in the early 1920s, and Frank gained custody of their daughter, which, not to stereotype, but particularly in the 1920s, if you go through a divorce and the father takes the children, that seems a little suspect. I don't know if she was drinking. I don't know if she was abusive. Ralphie, I will kill you if you don't stop eating my sock. There's got to be like anything else that you could eat in this room other than my expensive Pilates socks. Um, So she loses custody of her daughter, which I take as a sign that there's something going on with her, that she's not right. Because to this day, courts side with the mother. But like also back then, this is when men didn't want anything to do with their children. Like even if they stayed married in the same home, they didn't really interact with their children. Children are just like, whatever, get out of my face. I worked hard. I'm at home, which means I'm drinking. Just go stab each other in the eye with pencils as long as it's in the other room. That's just how fathering went down in the 20s. So for a father to then divorce the mother and still have a relationship with the child, let alone full custody, suspect. Uh, Ruth, apparently she had access to the child, but no custody. Um, Little is known for certain about Ruth's life from the mid-1920s to the 1940s, but she did work a variety of jobs. Uh, She worked in several restaurants. She worked as a model. Va-va-voom. Sexy. I'm assuming it was like, you know, one of those catalog girls in the bras and whatever. I'm not saying pinup, but like, you know. A little cat modeling. Anyways, she um, worked as a model, a real estate broker, businesswoman, resort manager, and a nanny. She did it all, which over two decades seems fine. It does not seem erratic. Who am I to judge? Um, In the 1940s, she enrolled at the Church of Religious Science where she studied uh, quote unquote new thought which is some new age shit I don't know what the fuck that is and I you know what I didn't click on that wiki link I didn't I didn't because there's so much bullshit mumbo jumbo in this story and my eyes were go I was going cross-eyed from staring at a screen so it's like how many how many threads am I going to follow in the case of this lady who really all we care about is that she wore cool outfits um, and was into outer space So she's at the Church of Religious Science. She's studying New Thought under Ernest Holmes. I'm sure he's somebody that people know about in that movement because there was a link to his name on the Wikipedia. I did not click that link either. Um, Separately, she was introduced into psychic healing, which if anyone knows, it's like those fake surgeries, you know, um, where people are like, ooh, we're tearing the disease out of you, and then they, like, pretend to reach into your gut and they pull out like a chicken liver and they're like, see, we got the tumor and now you're better, which the placebo effect is an effect. Nonetheless, it is very powerful. What control the mind has over the body. So 
whatever. If it helps people, it helps people, but also I feel it misleads people and it can steer them away from actual treatment. Also, my thoughts and opinions on Reiki, which maybe one day I'll do an episode about, but I would need to co-host it with somebody who isn't such a negative Nancy as I am. Because if you give me some bullshit that isn't backed up by science, I will take a dump on it, both figuratively and literally, because all I fucking do is poop. Um, That's all I do. I have endometriosis on my bowels, and my whole life is on the toilet. I've seen these people, they have these little desk type things that go over them in the bathtub so they can like set a glass of wine and some cheese while they take a bath uh, or whatever. And I'm like, I need one of those for the toilet because this is, I don't spend a lot of time on the toilet because it's just, it's always, it's always an emergency. You know, it's never, I am never in there for more than 60 seconds. Let's be real. But then I'm off the toilet for 20 minutes and then I'm back on the toilet. It's just back and forth. It's my whole life on the toilet. I might need to get a toilet desk. Anyways, what was I saying? Okay, Ruthie Norman is introduced to psychic healing in the 1940s. Um, Over time, she also became interested in spiritualism, channeling, and past life regression. Do we think that possibly her whole attraction to these otherworldly things has its roots in the fact that her worldly experience to date has not been that great. Raised by an abusive father, working class from a young age, rocky marriages, because spoiler alert, she ends up having four uh, marriages. Like, I, I just think that that is what draws people to other, like, wouldn't you be a total carnal person with no spiritual development whatsoever if you had every earthly thing that you wanted? If you were Jeff Bezos, you wouldn't need to fantasize about heaven. You literally can make anything you want to happen, happen. Um, so I, it, it's the same reason why you see, like, um, I think throughout history, you see these spiritual movements come from people who are like economically or politically oppressed or marginalized. You tend to see strong religious feelings come from people like that. And people who have a lot of money are like, I don't need God. I am God. Uh, So I'm thinking that's why she's like into all this psychic healing, spiritualism, channeling, past life regression bullshit is Up until this point in her life, her experience on Earth has been rocky, and it leads one to fantasize. We are all stuck at home right now. Who? Everyone I know is, is like, dreaming about trips and travel and watching travel videos. You guys know that I've been very deep down boat YouTube. I was talking to a customer at work the other day who said he's been watching. I told him about my boat videos, and he's like, oh, I've been watching those. I've also been watching camping videos and he said pre-pandemic, if I were to see someone who's like videotaping their whole camping trip for YouTube, I would have really judged that person because they're engaging with the media rather than in the now, you know, and being like, oh, I'm in the woods. I'm having this experience. They're just, you know, doing it all to film. He goes, but now I am so thankful that these people have, these YouTubers have done this because how fortunate for us trapped in our homes 
uh, to be able to watch this. And I think doubly for me, not only is it, you know, the pandemic has trapped us at home and now to pay for my surgery, I'm working seven days a week and I also I'm sick. Like I am fucking trapped at home. So thank God some people have decided to spend their vacation videotaping themselves because these YouTube videos are really getting me and others through this time. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? Okay. Yeah. So when things are bad, you tend to, you, you have escapist fantasies. Um, and that, that seems to be what, uh, Ruth, Ruth Neal's or whatever the fuck her last name is at this point. Uh, cause she just keeps getting married, but that I think that's what she's doing. So she marries um, some guy named Benjamin Arnold in the 1940s. That marriage lasted until his death in 1951. So that's only two marriage right now, right? She's got baby daddy. He's got the kid. Then she marries this other dude. He dies in 1951. Um, two years after his death, she married uh, and uh, what is this guy's name? His name is George... Marion and she marries him and she settles in Lancaster, California. And um, George Marion owned a milk delivery business, which Ruth helped him to manage. And I think, uh, you know, she's a real estate broker, she's a resort manager, she's a nanny. Now she's managing this milk business. We see that she has some managerial business running qualities in her. She she's she can get it done. So she's helping George Marion uh, manage the milk delivery business. Um, and in the mid 1950s, she became interested in acting and she started doing like local plays. Uh, she got a starring role in one. And so how old is she? Okay, mid 1950s. So she's in her 50s. Listen to that, kids. You don't just, you just because you turn whatever age doesn't mean you're too old to do something new. This broad is in her 50s and she's like, I might fuck around and do acting and she's getting the lead in a play and I always salute that because motherfuckers be acting like their lives are over because they turned 30 or 35 or 40 or 50, whatever. You know what I mean? Get out there. do Be in a play. Um, in 1954... At a psychic event in California, Ruth was introduced to Ernest Norman, uh, which, if you'll notice, later she's named Ruth E. Norman. I bet she marries this guy. Um, Ernest Norman is a self-proclaimed psychic who engaged in channeling, past life regression, and attempts at communication with extraterrestrials. I think this might be the first time... Uh, extraterrestrials pop into Ruth's like vision up into this point a lot of spiritual past life bullshit but now we got ET up in this bitch so um she meets Ernest Norman at this uh, psychic event and he tells her that in a past life she had been the daughter of an Egyptian pharaoh and that she had protected Moses because of course she had because of course she had because of course anytime someone discovers a past life it turns out they were someone really fucking important when like point zero 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 one percent of people ever born have been like I don't know, like 
recorded in history or like engaged in anything meaningful most of us have just been fighting for survival and like you know shitting in in the woods and then in buckets that we dumped in the streets and then eventually into toilets like that's what we do is we fight to survive and we develop as a culture we develop better places to shit and then we die and we're not really memorable except for to those who like knew us like to our direct families or whatever but some reason for some reason everyone who ever decides that they had a past life it turns out that they were really important they were like a big deal no one was just like this peasant that died of fucking the plague you know what i mean um so anyways yeah this is how he's getting in her panties this is his pickup line like Ernest is like this this broad this this broad's really holding it down for 54 years old like i'm gonna get up in them granny panties Ooh, girl, do you know in a past life that you were the daughter of an Egyptian pharaoh and you protected Moses? And I could sense that. I can smell it on you, girl. And um, apparently this was like love at first psychic reading because followers of um, this cult, they say that the, the couple married that very day. Uh, now, Diana... Taminia of this California State University at Sacramento, she notes in a 2005 study she did of the group that Ruth was actually probably still married to George Marion in early 1954. And um, Diana Taminia, I just want to keep saying that because I know I'm saying it wrong. And so it just it feels good to be bad. Um, Diana Taminia uh, speculates that the divorce was a lengthy process, so she doubts that Ruth and Ernest got married the same day they met because Ruth was already married. Um, and Tuminia uh, posits that Ernest and Ruth married in 1956, but I guess it seems like they were together from that day. They were fucking, and they had just like totally like cucked George Marion, but the divorce wasn't finalized till much later. Um, so, uh, they meet in 1954 and then later in 1954, they form Unarius and that is spelled U-N-A-R-I-U-S. And it is very hard not to say Uranus like the planet because this is different. It's Unarius and it's an organization they operated out of their home. Now, Unarius stands for universal, that's the U-N, articulate ar interdimensional understanding of science so that's how we get the name unarius universal articulate interdimensional understanding of science and this is where the belief systems start to get to a point where like i i can't comprehend them to put them in my notes because my brain does not do well with bullshit i cannot make sense of it or categorize it because it is it is nonsense. I cannot make sense of nonsense. I'm sorry. I do my best for you guys. But in, in terms of the beliefs of these people, you're, I think you're going to get very little information because I don't. we're already universal, articulate, interdimensional understanding of science. If that phrase makes sense to you, God bless you. Maybe you should be doing a podcast about these people. Um, so Unarius uh, beliefs include UFOs, reincarnation, and extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, it later became known as the Unarius Academy of Science. Um, now, in the beginning, Ruth 
served as Ernest's typists, later claiming to have learned this skill while sleeping. Like, I just went to sleep and I woke up and I could, I was a typist. Um, and everyone can type now, but back in the day, like being a typist was a skill. There was a, there's a form. I don't know. Do they still have typing classes in school? We used to, they had a little shield over the keypad and you would have to stare at the screen and type and they would time your words and accuracy. And then you had to like take a, t a test without looking at your fingers to see if you could type good. Now every, every keyboard is so different. Like I can use my computer keyboard with my eyes closed, but I get on somebody else's computer and it's like, I have never even seen a computer before because things, it's just the spacing's different, whatever. So, Ruth serves as Ernest's typist because she learned how to do that in her sleep. Um, and I, the only thing that happens when I sleep is having wet dreams. So, um, just just kidding, y'all. Just kidding. Um, so, she she's his typist. She records the information that he channeled because he's channeling... I don't know, extra, extraterrestrials. He's channeling past life shit. He is channeling... And, um, he, so he would like ramble on and she would type out like his books about psychic healing and trips into the solar system. So apparently there's astral projection going on. Um, but you know, she be typing, she be typing and she's just, uh, you know, she's playing the, the, she's the man behind the woman. Um, so they're running Unarius out of their garage or whatever. I don't know. They said they're home and I just assume that everyone works out of their garage like I do. I don't know what room in their house they're doing this out of, but they've got Unarius. They're in their home. It's 1954. Um, in the late 50s and the 1960s, they started attracting followers. Um, two students that they attracted during that time, they later taught to channel. Uh, one of the early trainees was this guy named Charles Spiegel. Um, and he later led the group. So don't forget about Charles. Don't, don't forget about Charlie. He's coming back. Um, many converts had previously had involvement with new age or mystic groups. So it made it easy to convert them. I feel like it was a big thing in like the forties and fifties, this like subculture of mysticism. And then of course it exploded in the sixties and it made it easier to manipulate the minds of people to get people into cults because when literally everyone in america believes that some dude can bend spoons with his mind which is a real thing that happened like everyone thought that there was such a thing as psychic manipulation of physical objects that it was possible to get your mind so powerful you could bend a spoon without touching it. Like that was a commonly accepted belief. So when you're dealing with a culture that has this, like that's their base level of knowledge, you know, the, the fucking CIA's having men stare at goats. Um, it's, it's a whole thing. And so it, it makes people's minds more ripe for the plucking to manipulate them into cults. And I, that's when Scientology came about, right? Like the forties, the early forties, whatever. Fuck that. Um, so yeah, so the, it's easy to, if people have already been involved in new age and mystic groups, if you're like, oh yeah, dude, we totally, like we do it all. We do past life regression. We do psychic healing. We talk to extra, extraterrestrials, like all these separate things you've been studying. Like we put them together. We got you. We are like the Walmart 
of mystical bullshit. One-stop shop. You can buy a bra. You can buy a plunger. We got it all. Um, so, no, I'm just laughing about the concept of Walmart. When I lived in New York and my mom came to visit me, we she needed like a couple things. Like I think she needed some socks because she forgot to pack them and she needed a battery for her digital camera. And she was like, where are we going to buy that? There's not like a Walmart or anything here. And I had to tell her like, well, you know what? There's a bunch of electronic stores down by Canal Street. We'll just walk around there. We'll find a place. And we did. And the first place we walked into had a battery for her camera. And then she was like, where am I going to buy socks? And I'm like, when we got off the subway in my neighborhood, there's a dude with a table selling socks. And we'll just get you some there, which is what we did. And the whole time she just kept commenting, but like, where do you buy things? Like in New York City, where do you buy things? There's not like a Walmart. Uh, and then when we finally made it, like on, she flew out to drive back with me to move to Arizona. And when we made it to like Alabama and we saw a Walmart, she felt whole again. She's like, okay, now I understand the world. I understand the world because I need a store where everything I need is in that store. And it does make life easier. If you can get everything on your list at one place, it does make it easier. But then you also have to wander around this whole giant store versus you just like walk into like a place and you grab the, it's a small, it's the size of a walk-in closet. You grab the thing and you leave. So I don't know, there's positives and negatives, but this Unarius is the Walmart of new age belief. And um, they also like in their past life regression, they would say that like they had been famous people um, before, obviously, like uh, what did he tell her? She worked for Moses, um, but also they had had past lives that were on the uh, mystical or like mythological continents of Atlantis and Lemuria. Um, don't even get me started on Lemuria. Listen to the episode I did with Rob Love about J.T. Leroy. No, J.T. Leroy. What the fuck am I talking about? About um, Jay-Z Knight and Ramtha, her cult. J.T. Leroy is a whole different story, and I think we talked about that on Zach's podcast, Bored and Sober, which you can also listen to. Um but yeah, Jay-Z Knight is this bitch in Washington who uh, thinks that she is like this ancient dude from uh, Lemuria and she, or she like channels this guy, Rontha from Lemuria. It's bullshit. And then, and then, and then, and then they produced the documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? And the guy who made that documentary later joined Nexium, like he was at some bullshit cult film festival on a cruise ship and he met the people from Nexium who then recruited him so he left he left Ramtha's school of enlightenment he jumped ship for Nexium. he was like their internal videographer and then when he found out that it was totally bullshit, like him and his wife left, and he's the one making this series uh, for on HBO right now. It's called The Vow, and it's really good because he is a videographer, and so he's got all this footage from inside the cult, and I maybe we'll talk about that on an update. But like, it's not even acknowledged. They don't even mention 
like, hey, this guy, like they mentioned that he directed What the Bleep Do We Know, but they don't mention that it was produced by a different fucking cult, which confirms the statistic that like people who've been in a cult before are more likely to join another cult uh, because this guy, he went from two heavy hitters, fucking uh, Ramtha to Nexium, and I'm sure he's making this like documentary, like I'm out now, I'm free. And you know that he's like, inches i feel like he's gonna join there's like a couple cults in hawaii um one of them i did an episode about uh the guy who did it which i can't even remember i cover so many cults but he's this guy's he's inches away from moving to hawaii and joining one of those fucking weirdo cults um anyways everyone watch the vow uh and fuck keith rainier because he sucks so they've got these converts from their that had previously been in other bullshit. They're doing past life regression. They just happen to be famous people who've been to Atl- on Atlantis and Lemuria and Lemuria. Um, but uh, Ernest, de- Ernest Norman died in 1971. And when I'm saying that he died, and, and I'm saying this wrong because what we're supposed to say in Unaris is that he changed worlds. He returned to his home planet in 1971. And after Ernest returns to his home planet, Ruth, he she takes over responsibility of the group's operations uh, and subsequently becomes their new leader. She just rolls on up. Uh, Because she was waiting in the wings, right? She was typing. She be typing. She be typing. Um, She was typing. And then this is her big shot. She's center stage. Um, And Ruth claimed to have received psychic messages from her husband after he crossed over, after he returned to his home planet. Uh, And in these psychic messages, he revealed to her that her true spiritual identity was a supreme being named Archangel Uriel. And Uriel, I know you guys wanted to know where this name come from. uh, Uriel is an acronym of Universal Radiant Infinite Eternal Light. Um, so Mrs. Ruthie Norman, uh, becomes Uriel, Archangel Uriel and, um, Spiegel, you remember him from earlier. I can't remember his, his first name. Um, Spiegel, oh, Charles Spiegel. He, uh, he affirms Ruth's belief that she was an archangel named Uriel from the fourth dimension. Uh, Charles is like, yeah, no, totally. Like, she's telling you this shit, and I can affirm that it is 100% true because she taught me how to channel. So I channeled. I know. It's all legit. It's cool. And um, so now Ruth has taken over. Uh, she's gotten her groove back, so to speak, and she begins publishing her revelations. Finally, she's still typing, but she's typing her words. Um, so in 1972, Ruth Norman began publishing, uh, Tesla Speaks, 
like as in Nikola Tesla. Um, and Tesla Speaks is a series of messages that she said were given to her by the American inventor and engineer Nikola Tesla from his dwelling in outer space. I, yeah, y'all think he died. He didn't. Um, Tesla didn't die. He returned to his home planet in outer space and he uh, started giving revelations to Ruth Norman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Archangel. Uriel. That's my bad. I'm so embarrassed. How rude of me. How dare I? I, well, I don't know what the miss being like. It's like misgendering, but I miss being her. Um, so uh, Uriel states that uh, Nikola Tesla also stated that he was relaying messages from scientists Albert Einstein and Louis Pasteur. None of the non-famous ones, none of the dudes who lived and died in a research lab and wrote like a million dissertations, like none of those people, only the heavy hitters, only the like media friendly scientists. Um, and I think it's funny when people start thinking that they see through the matrix, they see a new reality, and now they have this supreme understanding of math or science. I saw it on intervention. There was this chick who was on meth like constantly on meth, like naked, like the fucking, like a methed out Mowgli, just dirty and naked. And she would scribble in notebooks all day, like new math. Like she, it was a new calculus that she knew better than she had discovered and no one else knew. And she's just out of her fucking mind on meth. And, um, what's his name from hustle and flow? Terrence Howard. He also thinks he's crazy. Y'all he's crazy. He thinks he's discovered a new math. And he's like, a lot of people think that like one plus one equals one, but what if one plus one equals zero? Okay. Because it does. Um, yeah, he's out of his goddamn fucking mind. Also 20 years ago, he said, if you went back to a woman's house and she didn't have baby wipes in her bathroom, he would leave. He wouldn't fuck her because obviously she didn't have baby wipes. She was unclean. But you should never have baby wipes in your bathroom because they will destroy your plumbing. Even the flushable wipes are not actually flushable. You can ask a plumber. So if you use wipes, put them in your trash can. Um, also, I don't even know if what's on baby wipes is good for your vagina. Like, I don't know. There's all that fragrance. Can that be good? Ideally, you'll have a bidet. Ideally, you'll have a bidet. It's just water. Water's super neutral. That seems right. I don't know that I want, I don't really want anything that's fragranced on my vagine. I do not. I do not. I use like an organic non-fragrant soap. And then if like, if I'm moisturizing like the labes, it's skin. You know what I mean? It's skin. I use coconut oil. I use coconut oil because it is um, very good for the pH and the uh, like micro balance of your vagina or something. Don't listen the way I'm explaining it. Google it. But apparently like one of the best things for the biome of your fucking vagina is coconut oil. It also feels good. It also feels nice. Um, so, so fuck Terrence Howard, even though Hustle and Flow is one of my favorite movies and he's great. He's a great actor, but he's out of his goddamn mind. 
Um, and crazy people like to think that they understand science more than actual scientists. Uh, in so yeah, so she's out here. She's like, oh yeah, no, I'm friends with Tesla. He's like on the other side. He's giving me transmissions from Einstein and Louis Pasteur. Um, it's not a big deal, but I'm gonna write about them in my publication, Tesla Speaks. Um, so and I just feel like that's so such a tarnish on the image of a dead man. You know what I mean? Like he's not consenting to this. He's fucking dead. And then this lady is saying her words, but saying that it came from him. And it's just, it's unfair. Let the man rest in his grave. He did his thing and now he's fucking dead. Um, in early 1974, uh, Archangel Uriel predicted that a space fleet of benevolent extraterrestrials known as the Space Brothers would land on Earth later that year. And you know what I would like? I would like it if the Doobie Brothers would land in Phoenix, Arizona and play a concert. But they won't. Uh, Michael McDonald does not come here. Uh, so uh, she's waiting for this Space Brothers to land on Earth and it led to the Uranus Academy purchasing a property which was to serve as the landing site. So obviously they have enough members, enough member contributions that uh, they can buy some land. Um, and then, guys, this is such a surprise. I did not see this twist coming. Um, it's so sad. The extraterrestrials, they failed to appear. And um, what Archangel Uriel said was that trauma she had suffered in a past life uh, when she was ISIS had caused her to make an inaccurate prediction. So what happened was in a past life, she was ISIS, um, like ISIS, the Egyptian figure, I assume. Was she God, Pharaoh? I don't fucking know. She was ISIS, not like ISIS, like that we're supposed to be afraid of. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't keep up with global politics, y'all. I fucking try. Uh, so, so yeah, like the, the Egyptian character, Isis. And so she's like, yeah, when I was Isis, I was assassinated shortly before extraterrestrials were supposed to land then. And so because like I was assassinated right before seeing the aliens, then it was super traumatic and the effects of that trauma caused me to make an inaccurate prediction. So my bad, sorry. And, like, she kept bumping it, but then it would be wrong. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, I'm sorry. Like, again, like, this date came and went and no aliens came. It's just, like, my past life trauma. I'm sorry. Trauma is real. Um, so uh, so we'll get into what happens because now she's talking about her past lives. So we'll get into what, what they did with their past life uh, regression therapy, which I think is interesting because they would – her and all her followers would do um, – past life regression therapies and it, it would involve like the followers would recall crimes that they had done in past lives like it would always be like oh, I was such a bad person I did a wrong I was a bad I was a bad girl mm, forgive me Uriel I was a bad girl um and uh <laughs> And a lot of times in these past life regressions, when they're recalling their former lives, 
it would they would recall offenses that they committed against Ruth in her Ruth aka Uriel in her former incarnations so it would be like oh yeah totally like when you were Napoleon like I like fought against you and I'm super sorry about that like they'd you done they'd end up apologizing for shit that they allegedly did as past incarnations against past incarnations about her. Talk about inflicting guilt. Talk about ultimate gaslighting. Like having someone tell you, you need to apologize because in a past life, you did this to my past life. You were shitty to me. Um, it's And she would forgive them because she was like a loving leader. She would forgive them. So that was very kind of her. Um, in 1975, Ruth moved the group's base from Glendale, where they were formerly at, to El Cajon. El Cajon is 15 miles east of San Diego, and I believe that's where their headquarters still is today. I watched some YouTube videos where people toured it. There's this guy named the Carpetbagger who he goes across the country and he goes to like weird regional museums and stuff. Everyone look up the Carpetbagger. You're stuck at home. Watch someone else travel. But he went there. Um, and so they're in El Cajon, um, and in down, they're right in downtown El Cajon. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's the Uneris Academy of Science Center and right next door to it, I think like connected, I think they're connected in the same strip mall, but there's a Salvation Army. And that comes into play because as I told you, this broad loves to dress, she lo- like she would be a real contender on drag race and a lot of the stuff that she would make her costumes out of came from this salvation army next door really an ideal location i can't argue with that um so she over the years she keeps revising the space brothers expected landing date because initially it was supposed to be in 1974 Um, but eventually she revises it and says, you know what? The space brothers are, they're going to come in 2001 and over the next several decades, um, from, you know, she's, she takes over what, and what did I say? 72, 72. Um, so in the 20 years after that, she writes over 80 books for Unarius and in 1978, Ruth, who is now referred to as Uriel, she begins to film these psychodramas, which you can watch online. Um, they have on their website, unarius.org, they have a place where you can watch on-demand streams of these uh, videos they make called psychodramas. And what these things were, were improvised performance is improvised performances of the student's past lifetimes. Um, And oftentimes it turns out these students had spent their past lifetimes together and then they met up again because that's totally how it works. Um, I had a friend who in her wedding vows, which was very beautiful, but she said something about like, I feel like we've been together for many past lifetimes and in each life we just keep meeting and coming together and our souls are meant to be together. Um, I, I can't, I don't imagine what it's like. I can't imagine what it's like to have that sort of um, connection to another human being, uh, mostly because it's not real. <sighs> so they are filming the psychodrama 
improvised performances of their past lifetimes spent together in ancient civilizations for the purpose of healing the karmic damage done in the past. As we know, damage in past lives can affect the present because Uriel was trying to make these accurate uh, predictions about the Space Brothers and she kept getting it wrong because of her past life trauma. So it's important to act out your past life traumas to heal through it, which I'm not entirely against because people say that that's how Ibogaine is, is that when you are receiving Ibogaine treatment during your 36-hour trip or whatever, you basically relive your entire lifetime and you like re- reenact the traumas and you let go of things. Like all the things that have hurt you, you re-experience them and let them go. And that's also how they do PTSD therapy with MDMA is when you are unable to engage the reactive mind, you work through the trauma in like a state where you can't, uh, what do they call it? Like your fight or flight can't activate whatever system of your brain it is, your lizard brain, the panic cannot activate because you're on MDMA. So you're able to calmly talk through your past traumas. So I, I respect their I respect their healing theory here with these psychodramas um, and everything sounds legit except for the fact that like past life stuff I, I do not believe in. Um, so the Unarians believe if you were able to work out this old baggage through dramatic reenactments, you would be free to move forward to a better future. Um, but they, they didn't do these reenactments on a small stage. This wasn't like an improv class. These were elaborate productions featuring, um, Uriel and her students in flamboyant guard. Remember they're, they're next door to a Salvation Army. Um, they are making elaborate outfits and they would film them and they are amazing. They look like Xanadu. There are special effects. It is like Xanadu meets like early 80s music videos. The costumes are amazing. Everything they're saying is crazy bullshit, but like visually, these videos are awesome. Um, They made over 200 videos. Uh, They did 80 public access shows. Um, And yeah, you can watch many of these on demand on their website. Um, And yeah, I, I, I can't recommend it enough just so you get like kind of a vibe of what I'm describing from these fucking things. I'll tweet out links. You can't really share links on Instagram, but on Twitter you can. Uh, so almost 200 of Uriel's dresses are in the Unarius archives and, um, which is really cool. Cause like they respected what these meant and cause she would make these with her followers. Um, uh, it, and apparently she had a lot in 1979, she claimed to have an unofficial following of more than a hundred thousand. Um, and also that same year, she announced that, uh, she had received a spiritual promotion. She was no longer an archangel, but with Michael, she was a Lord of the universe and a Prince of the realm. Uh, so I, there's an archangel and then apparently the step above it is Lord of the universe, Prince of the realm. Keep your rankings straight. Um, 
she renamed Charles Spiegel uh, Antares, and this is in 1984, and she stated that he had overcome the evil of his past incarnations, he was a good boy, and good boys get treats, um, and so he, uh, Charles Spiegel in 1984 becomes Antares, and now he gets to, like, be an official channel, so he also got a promotion, um, In 1986, the group had about 450 regular students, and they charged $5 per class. So um, $450 times 5. I mean, if everyone's showing up to every class, you're making some good money. Um, At that time, uh, Ruth, a.k.a. Uriel, a.k.a. uh, the Lord of the Universe... She was living in a home in La Mesa, California with two of her disciples. And mind you, she's 86. It's really easy to figure out her age as we go along because she was born in 1900. So in 1986, she is 86 years old. Um, And so it makes sense that she would have to live with some of her disciples because she would probably need some assisted living at that point. Uh, In the mid to late 1980s, Unarius mini-documentaries featuring Uriel aired as far east as the New York City region um, in Winchester County, for example. Um, they had a public access television station that would air these. And I can imagine public access TV used to be wild. I remember we didn't have cable growing up, but like I was babysitting for these people who had cable and we had on public access TV. And at this point, I was like 11 or 12. And there was a school play featuring me when I was like five on TV. Like I'm just wa- we're watching public as- access. And then there's me in a Thanksgiving play from seven years earlier because public access TV was hard up. And the production quality on these like uh, what do they fucking call these regression videos? Psychodramas is really good. If I ran a public na- uh, access station in the 80s or 90s, I would totally air these things. Um, so uh, she was seen like her her bag was like these royal style gowns and wigs and she would hold a scepter. Um, she stated that this garb mirrored the practices of extraterrestrials whose attire, she said, was brighter and more radiant than clothing on earth. So I'm super into that. I'm a hundred percent into that. I love bright colors and costuming and why not? And as always, it reminds me of my, uh, departed friend, space alien Donald, the world's oldest gay Canadian rapper. Because he always was, like, his house was painted neon green. He loved wearing bright colors. He had crazy hats he would wear. And um, and he said he was an alien. And uh, he always looked awesome. So a lot of this reminded me of Donald, um, who was very, um, he was just very encouraging to young artists. And he told people that they needed to make art and, like, would always ask, like, what are you working on, whatever, which is funny because that is what Ruth would do. Um, She said that you have to express creatively so that those in other worlds can communicate with you. And so even the people who weren't artistic when they joined, she would force them to. Like, one woman was taught to, like, make costumes with her, like, work. was like, oh, I can't do it, and you're 
tutorials. Like, yeah, you can. Like, you can always, like, learn and discover and grow artistically, and you have to. You are, like, compelled to because that is how people in other worlds communicate through you. Um, they had a very DIY ethic. This one documentarian, Jody Willie, who she directed 2012's uh, The Source Family documentary, which maybe I'll talk about one day because that it's creepy, though. Like, I don't know. It just gives me bad icky hippie vibes. Um, but she did an 11 minute documentary called We Are Not Alone um, about the your Unaris cult. And she compared them to kind of the Warhol factory um, and the way that it was just always is all these creative people making things. Um, and so like Jody Willie said, even though Uriel was this charismatic leader, she insisted everyone had psychic abilities that they must develop for themselves. Um, and uh, there's a quote, Unarius lessons are all about teaching you how to tune into your higher self and other benevolent entities that could inspire and help you be your own healer, your own super being, unquote. Um, so that was interesting. Um she, uh, at the group's headquarters, she had a gold-covered throne that was decorated with peacock feathers. I fucking love it. Um, and her assistants would, like, help her maintain this media image. Um, in 1988, uh, Nor Ruth, Norman, Uriel, whatever, she broke a hip and her health began to decline. Uh, although she had promised to live until 2001, obviously to see the Space Brothers, her deteriorating condition made her followers suspect that she would die before then, causing some distress and denial. In an attempt to help her recover, students used past life regression to recall interactions with her, and some became very emotional after experiencing memories of events in which they had rejected and hurt her. So imagine your friend that you like love and adore is dying, and then you're going through past life regressions, being reminded of times that you in a past life have hurt that person. Um, it's, it's, it's just psychological torture. Uh, it's like false psychological torture and punishment. Um, but Norman, she didn't die after breaking her hip in 1988. She returned uh, in February of 89 to leading services. Uh, ma she made a quicker than expected recovery. And it was attributed to these uh, past life rituals. Apparently they helped her heal. Um, but she, after a period of good health, she began to deteriorate again. Um prompting students to resume recounting their past crimes. I hate that. I hate that. It's like, I am suffering. I am dying. I also am going to make you suffer. I don't like that. Just fucking die um, without psychologically traumatizing people on your way off this earth. Um, so... Uh, Norman lost most of her hearing and experienced chronic pain. I hear you, girl. It does suck. She was admitted to a hospital in December of 1989. Um, but that summer she was well enough to be present at uh, public events. Um, she was nearly bedridden in her last years, uh, and was attended to by followers, which is sweet. We need to take care of our old. We need to take care of our elderly. Um, because not everybody has like children she lost her child you know what i mean i don't know why i'm not throwing stones but she doesn't have a child she has no grandchildren some people aren't wealthy enough to go into good facilities it's just important to take care of our elderly um 
1991, she stated that the Space Brothers had given her permission to die before their expected arrival in 2001. Can you imagine being coherent enough on your deathbed to maintain this bullshit? Which means that it was her reality. Is in her mind that this was reality. But thank God the Space Brothers gave her permission to die before their expected arrival because she wasn't going to make it till 2001. Um, before her death, she met with each of her followers um, just to be like, hey, I totally forgive you for fucking me over in a past life, but you totally sucked. But don't worry, I'm awesome, so I forgive you. Um, she died on July 12, 1993. Uh, she was cremated. In her will, she promised to return to Earth accompanied by the Space Brothers in eight years. So that would have been, hold on, doing math, 2001, right? So they're going to come in 2001. She's going to come in 2001. Everybody's coming back. Um, so students... Um, many were surprised and confused by her death. Like, oh, wait, what? This old ass lady died? She, but she was going to live forever. She was only 93. Um, they, uh, were instructed by leaders to not grieve because she wasn't dead. She was in a celestial state. She had gone to her home planet. We don't say die. You return to your home planet. Um... Some of them privately mourned because they couldn't publicly mourn because that wasn't allowed. We don't want to see you crying. Um, no more crybaby shit. Sorry, guys. I have to burp. Um, so uh, what? what was I talking about? Okay, so they're told not to cry. So they like privately mourn or like some left the group. Um Items of hers were distributed to the students, which is really nice. Uh, some of them would wear those items at later events. That's, I mean, that's all you want. If you're friends with a great drag queen, all you fucking want when they die is going to please have one of their wigs to remember them by. Can I please have a wig? Can I please have a wig? Can I have a gown? Can I have a gown? Don't give me the shoes. They're going to be too big. Um, after Norman's death, Antares, Antares, because remember that was Charles Spiegel, but now he's Antares because he got a promotion. He took over as leader. He channeled the messages from her. Okay, so she's gone, but not forgotten. She's still channeling. Um, and then others later began channeling her and recordings of her messages were replayed. Thank God this was the era of video. So there's all these videos of her. I love when you go to, like, there's, like, a certain, like, cult that runs these vegan restaurants called, like, Loving Hot, um, but some of them have different names. It's the same cult, and they have great food, uh, but if you go and eat there, there's, like, videotapes of their leader giving her speeches, and there's, like, her self-published books. Uh, my favorite is one where it's just about her parrots, just the names of the parrots and their likes and dislikes, like a Playboy, but with parrots. Um, so it's, it's the cults in the era of video are interesting because the leaders can die or get old and decrepit, but you can just keep showing videotapes of them in their youth rambling and you go, Oh yeah, oh, good speech. I'll take my egg rolls to go. Uh, so, 
Um, okay, her recordings, the messages are replayed. And Tari's died in 1999, and a board of directors assumed leadership of the organization, and they did the channeling. In the 2000s, Unarius's leaders emphasized individual transformation, focusing on a gradual spiritual change in humanity. Um, so they still exist today. You can still tour the center. You can take classes. They have an annual interplanetary conclave of light, and it's like a United Nations celebration for outer space, and people dress in theme. There's people wearing these kind of like retro futurist, I don't know, 60s looking outfits playing trumpets. I watched a video of it, and people hold these banners with the names of planets and what they represent, and these aren't real planets these aren't your my very early morning jog starts up near philadelphia if you guys remember that mercury venus earth mars uh whatever that's how you remember the order of the planets it's not the ones that we know not even pluto who's not even a planet anymore it's none of those these are planets we've never heard of and apparently they represent things like some sort of interplanetary tarot card and we have the interplanetary conclave of light every year so that they can these ideas can mingle. I don't fully understand. I did watch the YouTube video of the uh, processional. So inside the center, which you can still tour in, what did we say this place was at? Um, do you like how I can't remember what it was uh, called? San, San something? Uh, El Cajon, El Cajon, 15 miles east of San Diego. Um, so they still have their center there. Um, one of the cool things they have is a large model of Future City, which looks like, honestly, it looks like if you go to Epcot Center right now, they have a display model of what Epcot is going to look like after this massive transformation. Um, and it's this cool 3D model, and obviously... Thanks to COVID, a lot of those changes aren't happening anymore. But it's this big model of a city, and it has these crystal towers that are surrounding a larger Tesla tower in the center um, because Unarians believe that in the future, Tesla towers will be the primary source of energy for Earth. Um, and so that we will be living in these crystal buildings, and it'll all be circled um, the Tesla tower. And if you talk about the Epcot model, it's, they have spaceship earth in the center. Um, so it's kind of cool looking. It's a really cool model, especially if you're into like miniatures and model trains and stuff as I am. Um, in the lobby, they have two of Uriel's costumes, which appear to be Baroque inspired dresses. Um, they, uh, this article said that these likely represent like one of each of Uriel's past lives. Uh, and, um, there's a glass case that holds Uriel's wands, a tiara and a glass rose as she also re was referred to as the rose. So many names, so many names for one person. Um, so, there's this display case where you can see her wands and whatever with the glass rose or whatever. And, uh, you, there's a big, um, there's a, one of her famous images is of her dressed as the quote unquote, the generator. And it is a really cool outfit. It's this giant, um, 
gown, like black velvet gown with these planets all over this giant skirt. There are 33 of them, which I don't know if I told you, but at a certain point there were like 33 ships that were supposed to come back with the Space Brothers. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. I can't make sense of it. So it's this really cool dress with 33 planets on it. And these were actually just balls from the Salvation Army that they had wired to, they'd sewn into this velvet skirt and wired to light up. And the costume was supposed to be symbolic of Uriel's role as a spiritual dynamo, supplying energy to the 33 planets known to the Unarians as the Interplanetary Confederation. I assume these are the planets that we see represented at the Interplanetary Conclave of Light every year. And I'll tell you what, if I have a hundred Patreon subscribers, which I am nowhere near, but if by the next interplanetary conclave of light happens, if by then I have a hundred Patreon subscribers, I will, I will go to that shit. It is not that far of a drive. It's about six and a half hours for me. So if y'all subscribe to Patreon, I will take a weekend off. I will go to the interplanetary conclave of light. I will video record everything. Um, I will video record meeting all uh, 33 of the uh, all 33 of the planets of the interplanetary confederation. I will get to the bottom of it. Um, and so yeah, that's cool. These people are doing what I do. They're going to goodwill. They're buying cool shit. They're putting it together to make even cooler shit. I respect all of that. Just don't fucking make me apologize for shit I never did in a past life that I never lived. Um, so, um, let's see. What else do I need to say about that? Um, one of the followers who was like one of her costume makers still works at the center. And I read an interview where she was quoted as saying, anybody can be a conduit for these higher energies, but you have to take personal responsibility for your life. You can't look out there for someone else to change everything. Wise words. Wise words. I respect it. I'm not mad about it. Um, images of Ruthie Norman have been used to attract attention by some outside of the Unarius Academy of Science. Uh, for example, in 1996, an MTV executive viewed a picture of Norman and decided to use her image in an advertising campaign for the MTV Music Video Awards. The network contacted the Unarius Academy of Science and received permission to use a lookalike in their promotions. That's when you know you've hit it big time. When, like, characters are being based off of you. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty fucking baller status. Um, in 2000, Norman was featured on the cover of a book called Kooks, A Guide to the Outer Limits of Human Belief. That actually might be a cool book. Uh, I'll look into it. It's a book about um, personalities with fringe beliefs. Um, let's see. After Norman's death, public opinion of her organization was strongly influenced by the 1997 mass suicide of Heaven's Gate, which was a UFO religion whose members occupied a house within 50 miles of the Unaris Academy of Science. As someone who would love to live in Joshua Tree, like I would love to have five acres there with like a little trailer ranch. I respect that shit gets weird in the desert. 
the Southern California desert is a place for fucking weirdos. Um, we toured all the crazy art in the Salton Sea area. There's crazy homesteads out in Joshua Tree. It's just a wild place. And I think it's better than the crazy that happens in the woods of the rural South. Somehow there's always a little darkness and sexual perversion to that. Um, but yeah, so the, the Heaven's Gate was only 50 miles from the Unaris Academy. And so when you have a similar faith located near you and then those people commit a mass suicide, it probably does tarnish your reputation. Um, some reporters uh, and members of anti-cult movements described Unarius as a similar group. Um, and like the, the members of Unarius were like, no, it's like no more dangerous than like wildly, like widely accepted religions. We're just doing our own thing and honestly making really fucking cool video art. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty into this, even though I don't agree with any of the beliefs. I think they're a little bit wild. Any, um, any religion that's like, hey, you have to make art, you have to make practice, because that's how you communicate with the universe. Um, and I mean, in my opinion, art is how you communicate with yourself. Uh, and that is the way that I work through things in my mind. Uh, but uh, so yeah, any any cult that's like pro art, especially in like a fun, bright colored, crazy, wacky way, super into it. Um, and, uh, so I'm into it. I'm into, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I would have wanted to, um, I don't know if I would have wanted to like meet Ruth. Like, I, I don't know if I could sit through a class to be honest with you. Um, but I'm glad that she existed. I'm glad that the videos are all archived for us to watch and I'm glad that if you've made it this far, I'm glad that you've spent over an hour listening to me talk. Um, so have a happy hump day, everyone. And uh, don't forget we have a Patreon that's only a dollar a month. So that's pretty cool. Check it out. All right. I love you guys. Bye.